Welcome to the Pirates Fan Forum here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gary Morgan. With me, as always, is my good friend, Jim. Sam, Jim, how you doing, brother? Doing good, man. I, I'm, I'm excited for today. We get to nerd out a little bit baseball. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, if you like the show, please do rate us on Apple and Spotify. Tell a friend, help spread the word. And if you'd like to be on the show, send Jim or I a message on social media or email the show at piratesfanforum at yahoo.com. It's it's the best way to get a hold of us, really. Uh, so let's get into it, shall we? Um, we're proud to welcome to the show today a former Major League Baseball player, a KBO player, an NPB player, South Allegheny native, West Virginia University alum, hitting instructor for both the Yankees and the Marlins, and all-around good guy, Scott Siebel. Scott, how are you? And welcome to the show. I'm going good, Gary. Thanks for having me. That was a lot to remember, so don't think that I did. I wrote it down. I'm just saying. <laughs> did you get Did you get Yinzer in there too? Because I didn't. No, I didn't. I've never heard him speak Yinzer. Really, <laughs> I think they, I think they knocked that out of you when you start coaching. Maybe I lost my Pittsburgh over the years. Although some of my co- my um, uh, bosses don't think so. Uh, apparently, uh, myself and Rich Donnelly had the two worst um, dialects or whatever in baseball. <laughs> Rich ah, Donnelly see. does have a thick one. He really does. So let's spend this first segment talking about what is sure to make you the least comfortable, brother you um you debuted with the yankees in 2001 your biggest stretch was with the cardinals in 2005 after recent hall of fame player scott Rowland was injured 88th round bro guys don't make that happen often were you always yeah. fighting uphill i mean how did it work for you well it kind of worked a couple of different ways i mean the the one way yeah i was fighting uphill most of my career but one of the one of the good things about it was was I was always under the radar. Um, I think a couple of years they forgot to release me. <laughs> they, they didn't realize I was still part of the organization. But um, no, I mean it was it was obviously you know I I have to admit coming out of college, I mean I had some things that would make me draft a bull. Um, I had a big body, big frame. I had some power, had a good arm. But as far as a polished baseball player coming out of college. I really wasn't. Um, I don't blame them for drafting me uh, down the board a little bit, 80th round. I was, kinda, I was hoping a little better than that, but I don't blame them for drafting me down the board a little bit. But, um, you know, I, I I did get a lot better once I got to professional baseball. Um, so uh, it it was tough at, at first, but it was something I was able to really, really use as motivation later on in my career as I started to become somebody. I mean, it's nice to finally get that shot. You got that shot in New York and they gave you all one game. <laughs> I mean, so, you know, we talk about how unfair Travis Swaggerty got treated last year because he only got like five or six games up on his call up. Yeah. But it happens all the time. I mean, how do you how do you persevere through that and come back the next season and try it again? Well, I mean, just being there, knowing that knowing that they are willing to call me up um gave me because you gotta understand the first four or five years of my career 
I felt like no matter how well I did, I was never going to be considered for the major leagues just because of the reputation I had. He's an 80th rounder. He's a nobody, obviously, even though he's doing well. So once I did get called up, I was like, wow, I mean, they actually consider me somebody to play in New York. So um, even though it was brief, it was what, three weeks, one at bat, um, it gave me motivation to keep working and come back next year, knowing that I had a possibility of making the team again. Jim, you got anything for him before we go to a break? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I got 50 things to, to ask him about it. Like, was it when you finally got there and it was it as surreal as we all imagine it to be? Um, it, it, it just in general to finally be in the big leagues, to finally get, you know, to play. How can you just is it can you even encapsulate that? Yeah, first of all, it, yeah, you're 100% right on everything you just said. <laughs> um, uh, looking back now, at the time, you're a, you're a baseball player. You know, you don't really care who's around you and all this stuff. But 20 years later, I'm sitting here on my couch talking to you guys. I'm thinking about this. It's like, it was really something because I wasn't just on a team with a couple of big league guys. Um, I, mean, I talk to my wife all the time. My career wasn't very long in the big leagues, but there's some pretty good ones I was with. Uh when I was in New York, you're talking about Clemens, um, Pettit, Mucina. You got Posada behind the dish, Rivera closing the right. door. Um, you got uh, Tina Martinez at first, Brocious and Jeter, uh, Knobloch and Soriano. You got Bernie Williams in the center, Paul and Neil. I mean, you got Don Zimmer and Joe Torrey. Thinking back now, it's like, wow, it's, it didn't last very long, but it was it was a good group of guys to be around. You know, I, I mean, take back it, everything I said about you not cracking the team, <laughs> actually. <laughs> It, it's the freaking Yankees too, you yeah. know. Like I, I mean, so I just man, I I I just when I think of that, I can't even like wrap my head around it. So, I mean, kudos to you for getting there and then battling your way back. Um, and that took a little bit of uh, uh, time, or maybe more longer than you wanted it to. Uh, yeah, I thought I was in a pretty good spot. Um, Two thousand one, um, minor leagues were going pretty well. I did not anticipate taking. What was it four more years um, to get back? Right. But, um, I, I couldn't be more proud of the, the way it all it all went. Um, I I didn't. I was just happy at first to get out of a ball. Um, I wanted to be, you know, at least a double A player. Um, so looking back now on it, you know, four years, six years, you know, I wouldn't trade for anything. Here's the stat line that got him called up. Really, okay. I mean, besides rolling, getting hurt, thirty one dingers. 304 batting average and an 895 OPS in 562 at bats in AAA for St. Louis in 2004. Granted, 29 years old. A lot of people are going to say, oh, yeah, he should be. He's older for his competition, right? But damn. Hey, hey, <laughs> hey that's that, a fun that, year. That forces, that forces teams' hands sometime, and, and it sounds like you did. So good for you, man. Uh, that was also. Um, the year my boys were born so that was a that was a, that was a pretty special year for me so he's awesome. the anti brian reynolds then he, he hits more <laughs> whenever he's having kids i understand so i mean did you have your second kid in 2007 then because again you kind of <laughs> you kind of beat the hell out of the league so. uh, i was 34 by then so i should have been right 32 years old <laughs> and yeah 32 home runs a 943 ops in 573 at bats and i think that's what sent you to asia right yeah after that year well after the season was over i was with miami at the time um 
actually, I think it was Florida Marlins back then. Um, and at the time, Florida Marlins were kind of like a rebuilding team. Uh, the players they had, you know, hindsight were really good. They had Hanley Ramirez a short, Dan that second. Miguel Cabrera was a young player, third. And um, uh, big lefty at first base, what was his name? Um, Jacobs. Uh, uh, Brian Jacobs, Brad Jacobs. Uh, big rookie first baseman. But at the time, I felt like I, had, I was a pretty good fit there to play because I was a little older, had some experience, and they had a bunch of rookies there. But after the year that I had, uh, I thought it was pretty good. Like you just said, the numbers you gave. And we called the front office, and they said, we don't really have a, a spot for you. So I said, all right, it's fine. I'll take my uh, take my, my playing abilities over to Japan. And I, I really enjoyed Japan. Good stuff, Scott. So everybody yeah. knows Scott now. We come back from this break. We're going to break everything down and, and forget all of, of what he did as a Major League Baseball player and start talking about his coaching career a little bit. fan forum jim gary and scott siebel with us scott's a baseball expert not a pirates expert so you're not going to hear me asking him for detailed breakdowns of nick gonzalez i mean we're going to talk about stuff that he's done in his uh, coaching career a little bit so scott we often look at numbers for minor league players and from those numbers we experts decide you know if they should be bumped up or demoted and from your perspective as a hitting instructor is that fair or are guys working on things that maybe we don't understand from a box score um i think it's fair to a degree i mean to be honest with you scouts are pretty good um when you when you have a guy who's hitting you know he's a first rounder hitting 215 and you have a non-drafted player hitting 265 at a time, and th- th- there's intangibles there that the scouts are usually not wrong. Um, we had a few players in the last couple of years that weren't having the best seasons, but, um, you know, you can tell that over the, over the long stretch, uh, th- these players are going to benefit the organization more than the other guys. And you've had some pretty good ones with the Marlins, right? You had, like, Jazz Chisholm down there and – who else came through your your shot? Yeah, we, I, I had JJ Bleday, Peyton Burdick, uh, Gerard Encarnacion. Um, those are the three big ones. Victor Victor Mesa, although he hasn't really panned out yet. Uh, there's some some tools there, but he's getting kind of old. Um, Paul McIntosh, WVU kid, um, I had him last year. Did a great job his first year in Double A. Um, so yeah, 2021, we had Pensacola had the uh, most prospects in the organization uh at that level most from pitchers but we had peyton and jj and gerard um it was just, it was fun it was fun to watch those kids play scott how long did you how long did you do the coaching side of things how many years total did you spend on that side six years i started back in uh, 17 and um this past off season um i decided to give a little rest stay home uh, kids are seniors now daughters just starting high school and realizing i'm starting to miss a few things so I, I was three years with the yankees and three years with the Marlins. 
And tell me, like, you so you 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 jump back into the coaching side of things. Was there anything that? And I know this is a broad question, but like, since you were in your you know playing days early on, and to then be on the other side of the coin and trying to teach guys things, are the players still the same? Are they different now? Uh, d- d- what what has changed in that regard? Um. It's kind of hard to say because as, as a player, I think you're so locked into yourself. Um, you're worried about yourself. You're worried about your mechanics. You're worried about your job. You're worried about your life, you know, your career. Um, like I don't really remember as a player paying too much attention to other players as far as professionally. Um, I figured that they had their own things to deal with. Um, but as a coach, it's like, they always say a coach never has a good day because somebody's always over four, you know? So uh, yeah, baseball's like that. Yeah. But as a player, you can have a good day. So it's, I, I, I think that, I think the guys are the same. Um, uh, but it's, it's hard. It's hard to tell because I, I don't know how they feel personally one-on-one, you know? Right. I feel like when you were coming up, you were probably taught, Strikeouts aren't a good thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And and now the game has it seems to have driven hitters to launch angle. Is that more paycheck driven, or is that kids just being coached out of that sort of thing? No, I think it's paycheck driven. Um, the the players are going to do what they get paid to do. Um, the agents know this. Um, we can, there's a coaching staff, as an organization, we can sit and talk about, we need to cut back on swings and misses. We need to get better at our decisions. We can't strike out as much, but then we go and sign a player who strikes out 175 times a year for $18 million. Who sees that? You know, right. all the, all the, uh, a ball kids and double, double players, they're going to say to me, uh, yeah, you don't want me striking out, but I can sure use $18 million. <laughs> And, so and how do you how do you balance it. that as a coach? Because you know you 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 can see them getting into bad tendencies, right? And you yes. you know ultimately, if a guy has say like a a thirty three percent strikeout rate, he's probably not going to get that call up. No, he's he's not. And the one thing that we kind of uh, studied over the last four or five years, high swing and miss rates, especially in the zone, and high strikeout rates. Typically, don't get much better. Yeah, um, you're either good or you're not. Um, we're talking within a four or five percent range. You know, thirty-three percent is not going to be a nineteen percent. Um, so I was like, "Is this player always been this way, um, or is he trying to do something?" A lot of times, it starts in, in college. Uh, in college, these players are able to get away with these things. They're being taught certain things. Um, and the first thing that we have to do as professional coaches is explain to them that that may have worked against 86, 87, but it's not going to work against 90.5 on a consistent basis. Um, tell me too, like Gary and I talk about this all the time with, um, it, it goes back to the, the, the big swings and the, the, the K rates and whatnot, but just, um, it doesn't seem like guys anymore change what they want to do despite the situation, you know, late game situations, late innings, you need base runners. 
it's still the same approach. You know, it's still swinging out of your shoes. Like, yeah. is there, is there no room in the game for that anymore? Or um, just get what your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's definitely a place for that in the game. Um, but you're right though. Not enough guys do it. There, there's still plenty of professional hitters in the game. Um, not as many as there probably should be. Um, the, the thing I, I, I think is, the adjustability a lot of guys don't have a lot of guys don't don't practice it um but you know the ability to do that we look at look at the teams that always seem to win i mean you know the astros are a team that put the ball in play um yeah. you look at you look at the some small numbers uh that some people say don't matter at all which would be a runner on third base less than two outs uh they usually lead the league in getting that guy home um and most people don't care about it but if you look at the top five teams in baseball, every single year, they're always in the top range of situational baseball. Um, and so, and so does, it just, does it just come down to the fact, like you said, it's just not practiced. It, you can't just go into a game and all of a sudden want to do that if you've never, ever tried to adjust your approach at any time at all. Is that yes. really what it comes down to? I think it does. I think it comes down to um, a mentality of, uh, I'm not going to get beat. You're not going to beat me. I'm going to beat you this time. You know, it's a, it's a kind of a warrior type of mindset in the batter's box that may not be as prevalent now as it used to be. Um, now it's, I'm going to swing three times and make a mistake. I'm going to get you. But a lot of these good pitchers, they don't make mistakes that we see a lot in the playoffs. Um, these big swinging teams that score tons of runs during the season, but they're not, they're not facing those teams in a five game set. You know, you're, you're not going right. on, I mean, Three or four years ago, I used to always talk about it didn't matter what the Yankees did because you knew you had to go to Houston and you knew you had to beat Cole Verlander and um, Morton at the time. It's like, who do, who do you match up against uh, Verlander and Cole? You know, you have a who's bunch the, of... Who's best pitcher you ever faced? <clears throat> um, in my mind, uh, it's Mike Gonzalez, lefty from the Pirates. <laughs> oh... I mean, I, I faced Maddox, I faced Pedro, Randy Johnson, but for some reason, I like left-handed pitchers. And Mike Gonzalez, he threw the slider, back foot slider in this two-seam fastball. I just I had no chance. But maybe it was just that day. I, don't know, I faced him one time. might have been just that day, but I had no chance that afternoon. I think you just happened to come up at the wrong year because he was really <laughs> good that year. He really, yeah. really was. <laughs> um, so we're getting ready to go to spring training here, and – you, were, you brought something up a little earlier with, with teaching a young prospect, like, hey, that works now, but it won't against this. Is spring training really valuable for that? You get them to face somebody that can can heat it up a little bit more or are guys just not really throwing full tilt in spring training enough to really teach that lesson? No, I think they are. I think there's a, there's a lot of guys, you know, we always talk about the offensive side, um, trying to to do things, but just a lot of pitchers too who are fighting to make a club, you know, whether it's a triple A club or the major club. So there's some guys going hard. You have your you have your top three or four pitchers in the organization that know they have the team made. You have your Sandy Alcantara's and Pablo Lopez's that are just going through the motions, preparing for day, game number one. But most of the guys throwing throwing their you know their their best stuff. Um so that's a great way to figure out who has been putting the work in the winter. And yeah. Um, what what they've done to stay on the fastball because a lot of work a lot of guys do especially nowadays is um, 
front underhand toss and T-work, which basically for professional baseball players should be relatively easy. Um, I, I like when guys challenge themselves, especially with velocity. Um, and that kind of shows up early in spring if they have done that kind of work or not. Yeah, the other thing, the other thing I've noticed is a lot of guys playing with that fungo bat. What do you think of that? Fungo bat's not bad. I mean, I, I mean, I'm considered old school, but to, to be honest, a lot of those devices that are out there now, I think they're all great. I mean, if it, if it makes you feel better, then it does. You know, I think it, Bull Durham said if it if it makes you if it, if you're pitching well because you're doing something, then you are. You know, if you're if you're playing well because you're hitting heavy balls, or if you're using a bungee or or uh, a fungo bat, then, then I think you are because it's a, a lot of mental baseball is a mental game, as we all know. So if it's if it's create creating a positive environment in your brain, then it's working. Um, the fungo bat has a lot of uses in the game. I mean. Um, I use it when I give lessons now uh, for young kids who don't know how to use their hands and don't know how to stay connected. It's a great tool to use. Jim, go ahead. Just, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say it's interesting that just still it's still soft toss and it's it's still T work. Um, I just assumed that you know not that that stuff ever goes away, but just the way the game is trending and just the power pitching that's going on and the velocities that you see, I'm almost surprised to hear that that that's still uh, a big part of the off season, um, you know, programs for guys. Yeah, one of the things that we we try to do is um, limit our underhand toss to make it overhand toss. Um, some kind of a, some kind of a, a motion where the ball is actually going up to down. Uh, we don't necessarily like when the ball goes down and up. Um, kind of creates a, a loft in your swing. It gives you a, a launch angle that typically wouldn't be there if the ball wasn't going up. Um, but uh, yeah, a lot of kids still like the tee and and the underhand toss. Underhand toss, huh? That's interesting because I never thought of it being something that could just slightly change things for you and you wouldn't even realize it, which is a lot of what baseball hitting is, right. is getting into bad habits that you just don't, you just have no clue that you're doing. Right. So, Scott, I don't want to put you on the spot here, but I kind of want to put you on the spot. <laughs> Did you ever have a kid that just wouldn't listen at all? Yes. Oh, yeah. A bunch of them. <laughs> now, what are you, what's your mechanism for that? I mean, like, do you just go and complain to your manager? Does it matter? We're not you, talking about to say. We're not talking about your own boys, Scott. We're talking about Nothing your, your coaching career here. Well, you're with you're with these young men for about two hundred days in a row. They end up being your boys for after a while. And they <laughs> treat you like that, and they don't listen. Um, I actually had a very prominent player last year on my team. I'm not going to say his name that we butted heads most of the year. And so the question is, how do I deal with that? It's, it's very simple, actually. Um, I know he has his beliefs and I have mine. And it's basically, um, I lay I lay out what I want or what I expect or what I believe is be correct. And he either has an opportunity or the, the right to do it or not. I always tell my players, listen, I'm here to assist you. Um, I think I know a little bit about hitting. I want to help you. But ultimately, it's your career. Um, I like to think that we can meet somewhere in the middle, but if, if this, if the kid's just a, just a, if he's just not going to listen, a hard head, a hard head. Yeah. We'll call him a hard head. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's not much you can do about it. Uh, with this particular player, we've had meetings with the front office, uh, we, you know, but, uh, you know, you can't force a player to do something because they're not going to do it the right way and they're going to not be successful and they're going to blame you. 
So the problem with trying to force your beliefs on a player, uh, remember now you're with these kids from 1130 in the morning to about midnight every single day for about seven months. That's a lot. It's a lot of time. Yeah. And if you kind of upset the leader, the clubhouse can turn on a coach in a, in a hurry. Oh, and that could be, a, and that could be a very uncomfortable summer. <laughs> I mean, I remember having a conversation with you once because you were on um, Craig's show with with me. I think Bucks in the Basement. We did yes um, with Eric Menshaw, and yeah. and you had mentioned that you almost have to become the team dietitian too, especially yeah. at the lower levels because a lot of these kids just have no way to eat. Yeah, especially lower levels. We had um, you're referring to the years I spent in Pulaski, which was the rookie yeah. level population league. We had a lot of really good players, and some of those guys are not going to join now, being the big leagues. Um, but most of those players come straight from Latin America, whether it be Venezuela, Dominican, or in, in that particular case, um, a lot of kids from Colombia. Um, they don't either don't like our food or they don't know how to find food here. And um, so, as a coach, I mean, it's it's baseball, it's life, it's I've had conversations this summer with players about their girlfriends, you know, um, it's, we're, we're people. I mean, you haven't seen your girlfriend in three weeks. She, you know, she didn't call She didn't answer her phone last two days. What's up? You know, these are emotions and stuff that you have to deal with a player. You know, my ultimate goal was I, I care about these kids as people, you know, and then make them good ball players. So there's a lot that goes into it. That's, it's kind of fun and kind of, kind of stuff that they don't tell you when they sign on. <laughs> But it's, yeah. the kind of thing, it's the kind of thing that 99% of coaches really enjoy, um, is that relationship. I'll tell you what, let's take another quick break here, come back, talk a little bit more with Scott. Good stuff. Welcome back to the Pirates Fan Forum here on DK Pittsburgh Sports. Jim and Gary with you with Scott Siebel. And, okay, I know I said he was a baseball expert, not a Pirates expert, but Scott's got some Pirate connections so we have to feed into. We have to. You know John Baker, the, the Pirates Director of Coaching and Player Development. And I just wanted to know if you had any thoughts on what his vision might be or what you know about him in general. Yeah, I've known I've known Shake and Bake for a long time. Um, he got, he's actually traded over to uh, Miami, two thousand seven, two thousand eight. He was a Oakland A's prospect coming up. Um, strong, great swing catcher. Um, defensively, needs some work, but he got better. Um, turned out to be a, a real, real nice big league player. Um, I actually was able to. My wife and I were fortunate to have dinner with him last year and catch up a little bit, but um, just talking to him, I mean, he's got some great ideas. He's doing a, I think he's doing a great job. I mean, it's kind of a big leap from what he was doing with the Cubs to what he's doing for the pirates. Right. I mean, you know, he was like in charge of their mental coaching and then he comes here, he's in charge of the entire player development system. Uh, Being in charge of the player development system is a lot of, there's a lot of mental stuff too. So, so he's, he's probably more fit than we think he is. Um, But he's, He's got some great ideas. Um, he, he obviously knows the game. He brings a little bit of old school flavor with a lot of new technology and new ideas. 
Um, I think he's going to do fine here. Obviously. He's got he's got some players to work with. Um, you know, I, I was I was pretty excited talking to him last year and all some of his ideas he has going moving forward to Pirates. That's a, that's what I was wondering. Is he generally like a, a a really positive guy? So, or just the vibe he gave you about where things are headed with the Pirates and kind of you know uh, what he how how he genuinely felt. Yeah, you know, he genuinely felt really good about it. Um, he really, I mean, he basically said we're we're not very far away. Um, it's weird for me to say we're not when it's referring to the Pirates, but <laughs> uh, but the Pirates still are on my team. I lived here my whole life, so they're always my team. But uh, yeah, he he feels very confident and comfortable saying that they're not very far away. Um, he would know more than anybody, more than myself, of course. Um, he's with those kids a lot. Um, he knows you know the kind of players they have in the organization. He feels good about it, and I trust him. Yeah, I mean that we're we're hearing them all sing from the same songbook, basically. You know, we're yeah. and and one of those hymns that we that we always hear. I'm sure you got preached to you yourself when you were coaching. Player centric. You know, everybody wants to say those words. Player centric. Player centric. What does that mean to you? Because I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure that I see it or understand it fully. It feels like it's player centric for some guys. But not necessarily for others. Uh, I'll be honest, that's the first time I've ever heard that word. <laughs> oh, that's a pirates thing. So that's a, that's a pirates thing. Oh, they've been preaching it for three years now. Yeah. Yeah. Player centric. All their decisions are going to be player centric. So, a good example for that is we're going to allow a shortstop who has committed 30 some errors to play shortstop because that's where he wants to play. Uh, and. Uh, at at the same time, we're maybe not going to do that for a lesser player, you know, that, that maybe wants to try something different. You know what I mean? So it just seems like player centric is selective at least. And I was just wondering if maybe that was a, a standard baseball trope nowadays, but it sounds like not. Well, maybe the, the phrase might be a pirate thing, but um, it's always been, it's always been uh, a thing in baseball. Where do you profile? And how much money we give you? you yeah. Know, with the Yankees, it was big on because the Yankees don't care much about money. Obviously, um, I never heard the word profile more in my life than when I was a coach of the Yankees. You know, Gary Morgan can't play third because he profiles at first. Well, that's said, one reason, anyway. Yeah. yeah. Who said <laughs> who, who said profiles there? We do. I mean, maybe we could say profiles at third, but uh, so. But if we gave you a lot of money, maybe you can profile a third as well. So um, I think in that aspect, baseball hasn't changed much. And I think it's like I think it's like working in an office, truthfully, where uh, management likes to start throwing around buzzwords, and uh, sometimes they stick. Sometimes people read and go, "Ah, I'm not doing that." <laughs> doing and, that, yeah. uh, that, that that's just how it works. I'm sure. I mean, it's it's all just human. It's all human behavior and human nature. Yeah, I hate it because I think I know what it means, but. In this town, in this market, because you know we've we've kind of not had a great success rate. Player centric is used as you know you take somebody to arbitration. Oh, very player centric. You know what I mean? Like anything at all that that happens in baseball, you wave a guy. Oh, very player. You know what I mean? <laughs> anything you do is is just used to kind of rub it back in the face. So, Jeez. um. You don't just know John Baker, you know Derek Shelton. He coached you a little bit, right? So, yeah, he was a so 
when I first got drafted by the Yankees, he was still a young man uh, early on in his coaching. I think he was only a coaching probably three or four years by the time I met him. Uh, he's put on about 20 in the last three that he's been here. I'm just going to say. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's like, look at, he had a look baby at, face. It's like, it's like serving presidential terms, it, you know, <laughs> that you get the first day and then the last day and we get the Shelton look going there too. Oh yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I saw him cause I was, I was kind of not following the game much when I was out of it for a couple of years. And I, when I did see him, he was in, I want to say Tampa, Minnesota. I saw him. I was like, "Holy crap!" Because the last time I saw him, he was uh, he was about twenty four years old and had a baby face, and, <laughs> and I saw a big beard and the white hair. I was like, "He's starting to look more and more like me." <laughs> so he had like a, I think a catastrophic injury that put him into coaching. Yeah, right? he's a, he went to, he, he picked the right profession because he was a he was a real nice hitting coordinator, with the, hitting coach for a lot, lot of those years. He was a good catching coordinator with the Yankees. He, he did a nice job, and I'm sure. I'm sure he's doing a fine job with the Pirates. I'm like, you know, you, you do the best you can with what you got. You know, unfortunately, he's not given the keys to the castle, you know, so. Well, we talked a lot about this year being a little bit different. This is the first year. Jim and I are, are oddities a little bit. We We tend to, like, try to be fair as much as we can, you know. So we say this is the first year we can really evaluate him. You know, yeah. we may not be happy with what he's done. I'm not, you know, you're always going to disagree with managers' decisions. Like, why'd you put that guy in in the seventh? Why'd you pull that guy in the fifth? That stuff, that's always going to be the case. But we looked at the roster. We know what he had to work yeah. with, you know. So this year, I look at the roster and I think, okay, you got to do something with it now. It's good enough that you ought to be able to do something with it. Yeah. I'm not saying he's got to make the playoffs, but this is the year to show us. Yeah, and, I, think, uh, I think the city would like to see some improvements, you know, w- whether it be um, better baseball on the field or just more wins, you know, just something as simple as more wins than last year, you know, just something positive, something for the fan base to grow off of. So one thing I know about Shelton is um, he's got good pedigree because he was with a bunch of great, great guys early on in his career. Um coming up with the Yankees. I mean, he was just one of the four coordinators we had in New York at the time. And um, all of them, I mean, all of them did great. Uh, he was with Rob Thompson, manager of the Phillies now. He's with Gary Demba, who ran the Yankees and is responsible for pretty much building the empire they have now with Judge and all those guys and Sanchez. And uh, Trey Hillman's a big league coach over in Anaheim, I believe he is now. He's with Miami. So that was our four coordinators in Shelton. And um, so he's he learned from a lot of great people. So he knows, he knows how to win. He knows what wins all about. Um, and uh, I think he's going to do fine. I think he just needs to, he needs to get a couple more pieces. Yeah. And th- th- that's the thing. Like when I, when I look at Shelton and, and you could, I'm just curious, you know, you, you saw him younger in his coaching career. Um, does he, as you've seen him move up through and then he finally got this, you know, um, this, this job at the pirates, um, did it surprise you or did he just seem like a guy that was on his way places in the, in the coaching ranks, even, even as a younger coach? No, it did surprise me. I mean, he's one of those guys. Um, it's, it's funny how most managers you talk about like, a a James Rowson, you know, or, or Marcus Timms and a Derek Shelton, like, like these guys, they just have that personality, that aura about them that they're 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 going in, in one direction, one direction only. They're going to be a manager someday. They're going to be going to be very important pieces 
to a major league organization. Um, and that's the same way I felt about Shelton and, and watching him develop as a, as a coach as well. Well, like you said, too, at the end of the day, you need players, right? I mean, managers can, all, you, you know, it's, it'd be like asking a, it's, as, it's like asking a chef to go shop at the dollar store and then whip you up a gourmet meal. There's only so much, there's only so much you can do as a manager. Do you think managers today are, um, are a huge piece of the puzzle, a smaller piece, um, or does it just come down to talent generally solves a lot of problems? Well, first of all, if you want to be a good coach, get good players. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> as simple as that. Um, I don't think I don't think managers today have the same uh, authority as they had in the past. Um, obviously, the day to day scheduling, the day to day preparation. Um, is all there. So that's, that's, that's their job to a degree. But as far as in game situations, I, I, I don't know that, um, the managers today have full authority on that. Um, so they can't always be judged that way. Um, a lot of situations are made are predetermined. Um, this guy's going to throw 75 pitches, whether he's got a no hitter going in the, in the, in the sixth or this guy's not going to face the, the, um, the right hand hitter, even though he's gotten five in a row out, the book says he doesn't do that. And so managers today have to respect the preset game plan or they're not going to be managers very long. Yeah, Pretty that's awesome, the, Scott. Yeah, that, that's probably why Joe, Joe Madden had to say some of the things he had to say recently, which was like, uh, if I've got to do it this way, I, maybe it's not for me anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the, the thing about it is, is I think most people know that. Um, I think there are some managers that get frustrated with it. Um, obviously, Madden me one of them. And um, I think if, if some of them would just come out and say it, you know, you know, why did you pull out, you know, Gary Morgan in the eighth with the no hitters? Like, because I was told to, you know, if they would just come out and say, well, I was told to. That's the way we run our organization. It was predetermined. He was throwing 90 pitches. I think if they just said that, people would probably respect it more, I don't know, or understand it at least. Yeah, and, and you, you think maybe the guys that have been around longer and carry more weight, maybe they maybe they can do that, but uh, it, maybe uh, if, it, you know, you're not comfortable doing that if uh, right. if you're not the Joe Madden types or the Joe Torrey types, right? Yeah, yeah Joe, Moore, Joe Madden's been around long enough. So he, he doesn't really care. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't well, care who he pisses off. Yeah. So. Especially not Pirates players, but... Anyway, uh, Scott, you have lived one hell of a baseball life, and we appreciate you uh, coming on with us today and sharing a little bit of it and giving us some insight into uh, some some pretty big figureheads over in Bucko land. So thank you very much. Well, I, really yep. appreciate I appreciate you guys calling me. I enjoyed it. Yeah, oh, we'll do it again for sure. I Absolutely. just have a I just have a quick question. Do you have your first hit baseball? Do you have your home run baseball? You had to bring it up in you. <laughs> I always like to. I always like to throw something in there. So, I got my first big league hit in New York Shea Stadium. What was it Shea Stadium or Citibank? Can't remember. Um, base hit. Can't remember the guy's name right now. Um, infield single. Um, I had the ball. They had it all marked up for me. Really nice. Uh, wrote you know whatever day it was. First hit. Blah blah blah. Around mid July. I got sent back down to Memphis. Um, they called a Pector Luna, played some shortstop, played some third base as well. So my roommate in Memphis just happens to be Skip Schumacher, the new, ma the new manager of the Miami Marlins. 
And uh, he has cutest little, <laughs> the cutest little dog you've ever seen in our apartment. Oh, oh no. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Sandlot. I no longer have that ball. Oh, oh man. Skip Schumacher owes us something. <laughs> <laughs> That's Scott's so, wife chiming yeah. in in the background that that, that ball. I had uh, if I'd have known that I wouldn't ask <laughs> but I do have I do have the home run though so oh well that's great that's and, great uh, that's also a funny story too I hit the home run and we asked for the, the home run ball back and the fan wanted a pool holes bat a pool hole shirt pool holes batting gloves I'm like geez how about a stable stable pair of shoes or something <laughs> but, <laughs> but but thank god uh, Albert was great and he gave him all the stuff and I got the ball back that's awesome, man. Oh, man. Very cool. Very well, cool. I'm glad. I know Craig would like us to probably end the show singing Country Roads because he's a big <laughs> West Virginia fan and oh, Scott yeah. played there. So, But we won't. We're going to end it with Ben like we always do. So without further ado, Ben, take it away, brother. Yes, you, Craig!